Welcome to Lundit Lopate at Large. I'm Lundit Lopate. One of the best places to trace the public's growing pandemic anxieties has been on the shelves of grocery stores and supermarkets. The first household goods to disappear were disinfectants, paper goods, bottled water, and surprisingly, flour and yeast, products that have no obvious link to cleanliness or quarantine. But perhaps we shouldn't be surprised because baking one's way through anxiety or uncertainty is nothing new and bread has emerged as the baking product of choice. So we thought it might be a good idea to invite two of my favorite bread bakers to our show today to offer some tips about the best ways to approach home baking during these trying times. And I'm very pleased to welcome back to our show, Jim Leahy, one of the most famous bakers in America, the author of two best-selling cookbooks, My Bread and the Sullivan Street Bakery Cookbook, and Cynthia Kinahan, whose Pauling Bread Company has become a favorite destination for many Hudson Valley residents. Welcome to our show. Thanks, Leonard. It's good to be here. Thank Jim, you, Leonard. Always good to talk with you. Didn't both of you begin yeah, your careers you, in the arts? Didn't yes. both of you <laughs> begin your careers in the arts? Do you see a connection with what you do now? Yeah, actually, all three of us, no? Yes, well, but uh, I'm, not I'm not baking bread. <laughs> well, 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 I think as a baker, I've been practicing social isolation for decades. <laughs> and you I were think, a sculptor, you know, Jim? When, well, when, when, when this whole thing happened and we were confronted with our new reality, I, I noticed amongst a couple artists that I know this mindset of, of like, well, I just I let's go kind of like into my studio and work. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and in a sense, it's, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I kind of, uh, you know, it, what you were saying in the beginning about like anxiety and baking, that perhaps in a weird kind of way, um, people who isolate and bakers, for the most part, are kind of live a little bit of an isolated life. Uh, oftentimes the hours are very isolating and, and socially you become isolated. If you wake up at, at you know, 4 p.m. in the afternoon and go to work at 8 p.m. Um, and then go, go to bed at 9 a.m., let's say, or 8 a.m. in the morning, you're, you really miss everything. So you're kind of isolated, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Lucky I saw my you. social life disappear about five years ago <laughs> when I started making yeah. bread. Well, you were a graphic designer, Cynthia, weren't you? Yeah, what, I was. What led you to become a professional baker? Um, it's it's a funny thing, really. I think I I was starting to feel like I needed a change in my career when I hit my uh, mid forties, and well, forties. When I hit my forties, I just felt like I was ready for a new challenge, but I wasn't really sure what that was. Um, so I took pottery lessons. And I fell in love with making pottery. I took a, a class uh, up in Weebatuck. And then one day I couldn't go to class because um, the pellet stove had broken and it was too cold. And my mind switched back to about 10 years ago when I tried to make bread and I was really horrible at it. And I thought it was a fluke. So I thought maybe I'll just try making bread because I love working with my hands. And so that's kind of night, shape, I, something you shape, like when you're shaping pottery. 
Exactly. And there's something really zen about kneading. So I went to work that night. Instead of doing pottery, I tried to make bread, and it was the crappiest loaf of bread. <laughs> History had repeated itself. I couldn't make bread. Oh, well, something but, um, happened. Well, I, I was actually really mad that I couldn't make bread, so I told myself that I wasn't going to stop until I made successful bread. And so every night I pulled out the same formula and I tried to make the same loaf of bread, and every night I failed, and I got more and more um, intent on making this right. And so after a few weeks of nonstop bread making and scaring my family to bits, um, I finally nailed it. <laughs> and then I graduated onto making sourdough because there was just something so alluring about sourdough bread. And we'll get to sourdoughs in a moment. But but Jim, uh, I, as I said, you were studying to be a sculptor. And I read that uh, you uh, were studying in Italy when you suddenly realized that you might want to um, start making bread? Um, well, I mean, I, I think what it was is I ate Nutella back in 1991 or 92, 91, no, 87. 87. Yeah, 87. So I had, I had a slice of bread with Nutella. And then when I came back to New York, I kept trying to find that, that same thing, that same, that same bread. That, that was like me. I'd have to go up to the Bronx or I'd have to go to some bakeries in Brooklyn to find it. And um, I just decided I would try to make the same type of bread. And more or less the same story that was told. You know, I experimented and experimented and made lots of bad bread and became obsessed. <laughs> so, so I, you know, and, and, and everyone thought I was like really weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> Taking bread and talking about bread, but then, you know, there was no quarantine at that time, and and no one really cared. So, um, but but it was kind of cool. Um, you know, it, it made me happy, and perhaps in a weird kind of way, uh, it it helped me deal with my anxiety. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, without realizing it. Uh, but you know, it, it also I think came from at least you know, you know your relationship. To something that you do or something you think or practice changes over time, um, you know. And but you know the consistent thread, like you know the consistencies in that relationship. And to bread making, to me, it's it's about not only the pleasure of the act of making bread and and kind of being a shepherd of fermentation, in a sense, or a caretaker for the fermentation and the dough. It's also um, the pleasure of eating the bread afterwards, that, that the bread gives you pleasure, you know? And I think that for a lot of people, you know, we need, we need that now, you know? And, and mm-hmm. there, there's a, uh, a, a lot of people with time on their hands like never before. So I'm sure there are a lot of really we'll talented get into that pianists and guitar players and painters and, you know, and certainly an army uh, or a nation of bread, amateur bread bakers, you know, it, it can only be good. We should point out that you started uh, in Greenwich Village on Sullivan Street. And that's why your place is called the Sullivan Street Bakery. But now you're on the uh, a Midtown and on the West Side. 
Cynthia, uh, you came here from yes. Malaysia, uh, and and you wound up uh, opening a bakery in Dutchess County in a in a in a village in Dutchess County. How did that happen? Yeah, it's so weird. Um, so I grew, I was born and bred in Malaysia, and um, I came over to the U.S. for college. I was studying computer science, believe it or not. And um, so I went to college in Michigan, and then when I graduated, I moved to New York. Uh, I lived in Flushing for a few years, and I lived in Manhattan. And then I got married um, to my first husband, who wanted more space, so we moved upstate. And then I got divorced, <laughs> met my second husband in Pauling, and that's where we are right now. And um, we found Pauling to be such a wonderful community of supportive uh, neighbors. Uh, I mean, I'm only able to do what I'm doing right now because of the community that's, you know, standing behind us and um, supporting us by encouragement or buying our bread and just, you know, it's it's just such a great, great place to live. And so that's why I'm here in Pauling. And Jim, Jim, how are you? Are you still selling stuff out of out of your bakery? Yeah, um, you know, we, we've been baking now for about eight weeks, but it's but one fraction of what we were as a business before because most of our customers went out of business or temporarily closed or permanently. Because you were so supplying we, restaurants. Yeah, yeah, we were supplying like 95% of our wholesale business, or 90% were, were restaurants for certain. And, um, and so now it's just really kind of about reinventing like how we do what we do, and we're not making any of the breads that we made before. Um, in spirit, some of the spirit of those breads is there, but we're making them uh, let's say a lot larger and a lot less expensive just so that they're more accessible to more people. And the focus on the breads right now, at least for the larger breads, is shelf life. Yeah. That when you buy a loaf of our new bread is called the community loaf, aka Pani di Comune. But it, it is a, a bread that's supposed to last for four days. And the reason why that came about was because we were only open for, and, and still are only open for retail on Tuesdays and Fridays. But I figured if you bought a loaf of bread on Tuesday or two loaves of bread or three loaves of bread, you could make that bread last until the next time the store is open on Friday. And the same is for the weekends as well. You know, and the idea is that as the bread ages, uh, it, it changes, but it's nonetheless pleasurable. You go back well, to the well, idea. Well, what do you put in it to, to make it age? Well, it's really just about the, it, on a technical level, as a bread baker, it's about the cohesion of the dough, how, how uh, strong the dough becomes before it receives salt. Like achieving the state of cohesion in the mass, if you will, as you're mixing it, and then the quantity of sourdough dough that we use in the dough, and also we, we're using a method that you know that bakers, you know, we're kind of baking like we did in 1994, except we've got 30 some odd years, uh, no, 26 years experience, like informing it. You know what I mean? So it's not like. Sure. 
you know, we're kind of like, I don't want to say using an old playbook, but kind of going back to the root of the business, which was really to feed people um, really delicious bread and make it really affordable for everyone, not just uh, people that have a lot of money to spend on bread. Now, now, Cynthia, you said that the moment of truth, the breakthrough came for you when you didn't follow the the cookbook. You were just making the bread. Uh, how much can you learn from simply following recipes in cookbooks? Uh, I think it's a good foundation, but the one thing that's different that's that um, makes bread making different than, say, making cookies or cakes is that you have to engage your own intuition and and feel. So I think that was where I went wrong when I was starting to make bread. I was trying to follow the recipe exactly as it was written, like how many grams of water per how many grams of flour, and I didn't make the necessary adjustments. Like now I've learned that you really need to adjust those quantities based on the flour that you're using, the flour quality, how fresh the flour is, and um, you know what the temperature is like, et cetera. So there's a certain engagement of your own intuition that um, goes with the technical knowledge as well. But Jim, you do write cookbooks. Has it been there been a run on your cookbooks as a result of this resurgence of baking? Uh, to some degree, yeah. I mean, you know, I think that you know, as as much as publishing can, um, that yeah, definitely. The book is, seems to be, I haven't really been following it that much, but I did get a notification that they were going to try to do another print of my original book, My Bread. Um, but, you know, there's so many kind of bloggers and people with massive followings, and a lot of them do very good work uh, with, you know, instructionals on how to make, you know, uh, how to love and care for your sourdough starter or, you know, and, it, and it's not to say that, you know, all, all of them are valid. Uh, there are many different, but the thing with bread baking is that there, you could, you could take a loaf of bread and uh, uh, Cynthia will probably agree. You could find 50 solutions to get to that problem. You could find 50 different recipes. You could take approaches to get this, a similar end result. Yeah, so there's no one way. It's the it's, it's the nature of, of of this art, this craft. You know, it's um when it is an art and a craft. You know, but um but yeah, the the books seem to be selling. Now, the story of the missing flower is quite different from the reports of hoarding or panic buying in response to the pandemic. Were either of you surprised when we started reading news stories about grocery stores suddenly finding? Their shelves emptied of flour and yeast, uh, which were not available on the internet either. And did that become a problem for you, Cynthia? Is there a local uh, mill that you can go to? Because the uh, the, the the large mills are talking about suddenly having sales. One said its sales had risen by two thousand percent, and they were having problems just being able to ship the the uh, the flour they have out. Yeah, I didn't encounter, I mean, there were some, um, you know, some cases where I was a little bit concerned, but for the most part, when I knew this was, when the lockdown was going to happen, I made sure that I stocked up on my raw and spelt berries, um, and, uh, you know, I do get flour from a local mill. He's been um, pretty consistent with deliveries, so that was okay. 
So I basically saw this coming and decided that I should start to stock up, and it was what I did ahead of everyone starting to shelter in. And also, we, you know, had reduced our baking to once a week, so I wasn't going through as much as as we were, you know, before the pandemic. And, and Jim, uh, are you uh, getting flour from the same people you did before? Uh, and is there no, a way for me to get my, it from my, those people? Well, my knee-jerk reaction, you know, my knee-jerk reaction was uh, I, I sensed where things were going. So I ended up getting a, 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 like a, a delivery of wheat literally the day before we had to shut down. Mm. And um, and and for like four days afterwards, I was regretting my decision because I'm like, what am I gonna do with all this wheat? I've got no more accounts. I've got no more business. But then I thought, you know, it's good that we have it just in case because it, in the beginning, if we all check back to how we were feeling when the lockdown began, uh, you know, there was a lot of fear, and um, I wasn't certain if. You know, the mission now had to be just in case to feed people, you know, to be available to do that if, if there was a, you know, a major food crisis, you know, or supply crisis. I didn't think that I could sell flour, although maybe I should start packaging up some of that wheat um, so, so we can, you know, make a little bit of money, but, uh, or at least make flour available to people. Um, but you know, that that wasn't the thinking, you know. I mean, I, I think for maybe, you know, in the suburbs, there's, things seem a little bit more normal, whereas in the high density of the city, um, you know, the, the, the change is more drastic, whereas the suburbs have filled up with people not coming into work. The city has emptied itself of the tourists, the hotels, um, uh, people are, you know, don't want to go and live in apartment buildings, don't want to take the elevator too much. So, you know, people have voluntarily locked down. And for the affluent and not so affluent, uh, people have left to go back to their parents' home or if they have a second house outside the city. So you see the, you know, like, whereas in Pauling, it, it's probably a little bit more lively. Um, and the, the semblance of the civic life, whereas, you know, we experience now our civic life here in the city, you know, at 7 p.m. with the clapping and, and cheers, you know, things mm -hmm. have changed. Yeah. This is this is WBAI in New York. I'm Leonard Lopate. The show is Leonard Lopate at Large, and I'm talking to two wonderful bakers, Jim Leahy and Cynthia Kinahan. Uh, now, uh the the reason that the the, uh, the 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 flower rush began in May it was obvious that people realized they were going to be staying at home a lot longer than uh, they had originally expected, uh, and mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like a move back in time uh, because people used to break but then they stopped. Mm -hmm. uh, now, isn't time a necessary ingredient for making bread? Uh, the extra time we're staying at home. Uh, actually gives people uh, the opportunity to attempt things they might not have t attempted before. And you, you've been talking about sourdough. Uh, sourdough can take days to produce, can't it? 
Yeah, it is true. Um, time is definitely an ingredient in bread making, and that's what we have on our hands these these days, or that extra fermentation that happened. So, but let's talk a bit well, about. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, well, Jim, you want to add anything? Time. Uh, well, I was gonna say time exists, and and whether a, a dough takes twenty four hours or six hours, you, you know, you're you're looking at. I, was, I wanted to say something that Cynthia was saying earlier to a question you asked, uh, and she kind of put it really well about how important, you know, when you follow a recipe from a cookbook, you know, you have to use your senses, your eyes, your, your sense of touch to see the, the how wet or viscous the dough is, the smell as the fermentation begins to go. Um, you know that all you know, that it engages all of your senses if you um, if if you want to do it well, let's say. And I think what's interesting, you know, you also have a lot of people baking bread now, um, who are kind of maybe on the outer end of the slime generation, because you know slime is a, a very popular thing for a lot of Americans, a lot of people all over the world. And, you know, bread is the slime you can actually eat, you know. <laughs> and, mm. and, and, you know, it, it's, this, it's this really legitimate way to play with wet, gooey, sticky things. If, if you know, if you're watching your kids make, make all these really gross, like, fluffy slimes and stuff, sparkly yeah. slimes, you, you know, you're adding, like, sprouted, uh, uh, um, you know, farrow uh, uh, seeds or something, you know, sprouted fermented farrow seeds to your... You know, you, you get to, you get to experiment and do things, and and then make something that's very nourishing. Well, let's begin but, with the uh, starters. Are they available for purchase, or is it best to make your own? And how do you make your own starter? Do you need anything beside flour and water? No, that's it. Just really good flour and water. I've had my starter Bob for about five years now, and um, I've been giving it to anyone who's interested in making sourdough bread. So. They just take some home, some of Bob, and then I give them instructions on how to feed Bob. And you call Bob's it Bob. personality. Bob is my sourdough starter. Mm -hmm. And you just keep my on feeding it, it, so it, it it goes on for as long as you keep on adding flour and water to it. Right. The key is to know when Bob should be fed. So you don't want to feed the starter too early, and you don't want to try to feed him when he's already dead. <laughs> so it's all about getting uh, to know your starter. I was going to say, Jim. Cynthia, Bob never dies. <laughs> <laughs> Bob never dies. Well, he per he's like a perpetuating starter. It's not like a lot of people say, oh, you know, bakeries in Italy have used the same starter for uh, 150 years. But it's really not that the yeast is 150 years old. It's right. just, um, what do you call it? It's like, it, 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 you know, it produces new yeast and it carries it's generations of yeast. It's not the same yeast strain that's no. still alive for well, well, would, When I, you say I, yeast, Cynthia, you're, you're talking about yeast that's in the air? Yeah, the wild yeast. You're, you're not talking about yeast that you buy in the supermarket? Is commercial no, no, no. yeast okay? No, no, It's not okay? just yeast in the air. I mean, there's yeast everywhere. Um, there's yeast around the coating of the wheat. And so when you mill the wheat, there's yeast in there, too. And when you add water to it, it activates the yeast. So it wakes up and it starts feeding. And it starts off a cycle. And, and you, just you were going to say to that, something, 
Oh, no, I was going to say to add to that, I would say that those yeasts are billions of years old as organisms. Yeah. So that same sourdough that we make today, however distinctive we think it may or may not be, is a, an organism that has been around for at least 2.7 or 3 billion years as a, yeah. as a microorganism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not longer. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it is, they haven't really changed that much. Um, so it finds as, its, as its way to, a, so, and then it's attracted to a flower water mixture? It's attracted to starches. Now, some people say rye flour is the best flour to use for a starter. Do you agree? I did start mine with rye, yes. Um, um, I, I, I think that, you know, it, it, you could, I've made sourdough starters using the bloom of an iris flower. Hmm. Well, um, like, you know, the, on the, or the bloom on the skin on the outside of fennel fronds. Um, you can make starters lifting the culture off of fruit like plums or grapes or outs- I like one the way I started my sourdough, or at least I'd like to believe I started my sourdough, was using the bloom off of cabbage leaves. Um, the yeasts are airborne, as Cynthia said, and they alight onto everything on our hands, on our hair, uh, on uh, leaves or trees. Um, plants, and they just they're there there for the for the conditions to be right, and then they all feed. Um, and if you create, you know, in the case of you know, because everyone's kind of like people are now very kind of kind of hip to science. Uh, uh, some people are um, uh, the you know the flour and the water is simply a substrate. If it's a very wet substrate, then the cycle of fermentation is really rapid because the yeasts and the bacteria do not have legs. And while it may look as if the liquid that the starter is sitting in is sitting still, there's actually a lot of movement. If you make mm-hmm. a very stiff <clears throat> sourdough, it's, it's a very slow, a much slower fermentation. Like, for example, I think I'm going to guess Cynthia, because you're feeding Bob all the time, Bob is a liquid. Uh, no, Bob's actually a stiff starter. Um, when I oh, first no, started I'm making... I... Hello? I'm just joking. I'm... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say something oh. about Bob. <laughs> I, just, I just got that. That's funny. Please no, Bob's actually... Bob's a stiff starter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. Uh, I, am I going to have to say this is Bobby public radio instead of public radio? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be in trouble. <laughs> now, you could, yeah, so you, we, there, we there are all sorts break. of add-ins. Can't you tweak the the starter with things like, well, the proportions of, of moisture and flour and add-ins, grains and such? Yeah, you can. Like, I started Bob with rye, and then once he was established, I just switched to white flour because it was um, more economical. Because if you don't bake every day, you'll end up throwing out a lot of your starter. Mm. So I switched into white flour, and when I passed Bob on to home bakers, I changed his proportion so he's more liquid, so it's easier for people to make bread if they're doing it by hand. 
So yeah, you there can are... absolutely change proportions. What about uh, the, the fact that some people uh, are worried about uh, gluten in bread? Is gluten a natural part of this whole process? Yeah, it is. I mean, there is gluten is a protein that's inherent in wheat. Um, but, you know, with the sourdough process, the extra fermentation time helps break down the protein strands. And so for some people that are not so tolerant to eating wheat can actually tolerate uh, sourdough bread better because because of time, time and fermentation, breaking down the, those bonds a little bit, making it more digestible. That's a 16 to 24 hour fermentation process. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And are ancient grains I, better I think, for I that as Leonard, well? I, I, Go ahead. Oh, no, I was saying, Leonard, I don't think it's so much that it's 16 or 18 hours. It could take place in six. It's the quality, the type of fermentation that, you know, you can have a, a sourdough bread ready to bake in six hours, say, but you're working with a different ratio of the starter to the refreshing flour and salt that you're, you're, you're using to make the final dough. Um, you know, you could have up to like even up to 50% of a dough be sourdough, uh, be, be made from starter. You just couldn't use a starter that was that ripe, that acidic, you know, mm -hmm. it's all about controlling the acidity. If the dough gets too acid, too sour, the yeast stop doing their job. And they, they, they go into a form of suspension by forming a little shell around them because the dough is too acid. Their metabolism slows down. So, you know, it's really more about the quality of the fermentation in, in terms of, of making the protein, gluten, um, less of an irritant to, to people with, with diagnosed sensitivity uh, to, to, to wheat in their digestive tract. Now, you're, because, you know... Uh, it's, Yep. Jim, Sorry. you're famous for your recipe for no-knead bread. Can you make a gluten-free no-knead bread? Why? <laughs> Why? Because there are people I mean, who are, who are gluten mean, intolerant. I mean, I, I don't want to sound harsh, but, you know, if, 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 you, if you're gluten intolerant and you can't eat naturally fermented sourdough with, like, really pedigreed, beautiful, uh, organic, uh, regionally sourced, uh, uh, harvested by hand, uh, organic, uh, antique, blah, 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 smell um, of grains. Uh, if you can't, then maybe bread's not for you. I mean, maybe you should eat. I mean, you could buy one of those mixes and use some form of chemical leavening, like, you know, a baking soda, baking powder, but maybe, maybe try rice. You know, rice is lovely. It's a beautiful I love rice. grain. I love rice too. We we have um, to stop you know, for a moment and take a little break here. Uh, we'll come back to more of this in just a moment. Okay. This is Leonard located large on WBAI New York ninety nine point five FM. For this you'll need five hundred grams of strong white flour, teaspoon of salt, teaspoon of yeast. 50 ml of warm water, just tip it in, mix it all about, and you'll make it bread, guess you fed 
Before we get back to my conversation with Cynthia Kinahan and Jim Lee, I'd like to take a few minutes to, to talk about something that's very important to this radio station. Like most public radio stations across the country, WBAI has been hit quite hard by the pandemic. And a lot of our longtime listeners have been forced to pull their contribution to the station, which is why we're asking anyone who's able in this time of crisis to help step up and make a contribution of any amount uh, to keep community radio and, and this show, Leonard, located large on the air and coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. And you can do that by calling 516-620-3602 right now or by going to our website, give to wbaiorg That's give and then the number 2WBAI.org. And uh, yesterday, we had a real problem. We were off the air for part of the time. That's a result of some of the technological problems that we are facing right now uh, in adjusting to the pandemic. Uh, so we really hope that you'll come through for us. And one great way to support the station without having to shell out a lot of money at, at one time is to become a BAI buddy. I'd like to invite my executive producer, Jesse Lent, to join me now to talk about that. Hi, Jesse. Hey, Leonard, we uh, are coming to you uh, a bit clearer today. <laughs> Big well, thanks we to our... So. Well, we're coming to <laughs> our... you, actually. The first half hour <laughs> yesterday was totally gone. You can hear our voices, and actually, uh, in all seriousness, because that was a really important conversation uh, with uh, a Saw Snipes Garner, Garner, sorry, excuse me, uh, the, the widow of Eric Garner, uh, that entire episode, without any uh, interruptions, it was sa saved by the, our great engineer, Reggie Johnson, so it is available as a podcast. Uh, it uh. will go to uh, our iTunes uh, podcast or wherever you get your podcast. That's Leonard Lopate at large. But yes, in you go to YouTube. You can. <laughs> I don't know if we're on YouTube, but we should be. Let I me look into that. But we're on SoundCloud slash Leonard dash Lopate is the easiest way. SoundCloud.com slash Leonard dash Lopate. But you can get the episodes uh, anywhere you get your podcast, really. But yes, it's the classic conundrum, Leonard, in regards to what you were saying before. You finally have time to listen to Leonard Lopate at large, to maybe catch up on some of the shows that you missed. But for many of our listeners, I'm sure, suddenly either you lost your job or your hours are cut back or you just don't know what the future holds. So we want to be very clear that we do not wish any ill will or would, would never want to think about making anyone feel guilty who's been forced to either pull their funding or not step up in the way that they normally would. We know that these are unprecedented times. However, the sad fact is that without our own, uh, without enough bread, so to speak, to keep this station Ooh. on the air, uh, we cannot continue to bring you Leonard Lopate at large. We are completely listener funded. Uh, we are. We don't take any ads. We don't take any money from foundations, or we just rely on our audience. It allows us to to be a lot more independent and to really be a voice of the community. But at the same time, it puts us in a more precarious precarious position when we have to pay our bills. 
at a time like this, I, I have to say, I am not speaking on behalf of the station, but just of myself, it, it's, it, it's very tempting uh, to think of how nice it would be to have the support. I mean, the last, this is not a time when Leonard and I are particularly overjoyed to be coming to you hat in hand, even though this is the normal time of our fun drive, but shortening our pledge drive, for example, or putting it off, these are not options that we have as a community station. We are your station. WBAI is the voice of New York and the tri-state area, your progressive voice, your ability to hear shows that aren't driven by dollars or by corporations. A show like today about bread baking in the pandemic for an hour. I don't think you're going to hear that on MSNBC anytime soon. <laughs> you know, or, you know, and, and someone might say, well, there's cooking shows, there's this and that. Okay, well, how many of those cooking shows were talking to the widow of Eric Garner yesterday or two days ago and, and, and the day before that talking to a, uh, the author of a book, uh, Robert Keller, on, uh, on, on schizophrenia, Coker, excuse me, Robert Coker's book on a family uh, tortured by, by, uh, by schizophrenia throughout their gene line. My point is, we think that what we bring you here on this show is special, is something different. But a lot of our ability to bring you something so different is because we're completely funded by you, just so, by so our Je audience. So, Jesse, I, I, I want to get back to my guests, and we have a lot to talk about here. So uh, the uh, we are making a special offer to people who become uh, BAI buddies. Uh, they are sustaining members for the people who will contribute $10 or more each month to keep the station going uh, and keep the show going. Uh, well, before so, we even tell them about that, let's give out the number, and then okay. and then I'll get into that very quickly because I, I know everyone's eager to get back to this conversation. I know I am, and I love eating bread, but I, I don't even bake it. Uh, you can so yes, after this. I, I, I'm very tempted uh, if I can find any flour. Uh, okay, so if you want if you are able, if you can help keep this show on the air and this station afloat, the number is 516-620-3602. Again, 516-620-3602. Or you can go to our website, give to WBAI.org. That's give then the number two WBAI.org. Now to get to the fun part, yes, we are offering something right now uh, that Leonard has never done in his 43 years of broadcasting for, I think we just have one or two slots left. Uh, a listener, any listener that signs up today to become a BAI buddy by making a monthly contribution of $10 or more a month, can call it a sustaining member if that's easier to remember, but a BAI buddy for $10 a month gets you a slot for a Zoom dinner, a Zoom, a, con a teleconference call with Leonard and 10 listeners that we're calling My Dinner with Leonard. You'll be able to ask Leonard anything you'd like, tell him anything you'd like, tell him uh, about the role that the show's uh, had for you. I mean, I know that I was, a, I've said this a bunch of times on the air, but I, I listened to Leonard uh, on the air for a good 10 or 15 years before I ever worked for him. And it was a, a real professional joy to the, when we finally began working uh, together to be able to tell him in all honesty, just how many great hours of radio 
uh, he he had provided me, and I know provided you. So if if there and, was and by moment, the way, we'll also give the the listeners a chance to meet some of their fellow listeners. Exactly, which is we important. Like to... You can talk about the things that you want to hear, or or ask me questions about uh, guests uh, that I had in the past, or uh, why certain things happened. Uh, this is a, a a really rare opportunity. Uh, so, and, and since we've covered so many different things, maybe you're into physics. We can discuss uh, some of the great physicists I've spoken to over the years, from Stephen Hawking to to Sean Carroll, or and of course we could talk about bread and, and things like that as well. So, please, all the great musicians you've had over yeah. the you've spoken we, to we over the live years, from music. Neil Young, Elvis Costello. We just Randy uh, Newman had. Randy Newman, more we just recently, had Delphio Marsalis on, yes. And all of that uh, can be talked about during that uh, that dinner with Leonard. And if you want to actually eat during it, uh, nosh or whatever, you're sure welcome to do that or drink a glass of wine, whatever you think is best. Again, uh, I want to get back to my guests. So the number is 516-620-3602. Or you can go to our website, give2wbai.org. That's Give and then the number two, WBAI.org. And uh, if you become a BAI buddy in the name of Leonard Lopez at Large, uh, you'll have the option of attending this teleconference with me. But be, make sure that you make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopez at Large. Uh, anything you want to add, Jesse, before I go back? I just want to add that this, my dinner with Leonard thing, is one option of donating, obviously. It's, well, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're really excited about it, and I know some of the people who've signed up already are really excited, and thank you to everyone who's already signed up. But any level that you're able to contribute uh, is so desperately needed and appreciated right now by WBAI. There, There is a minimum contribution for the My Dinner with Leonard, but there is no minimum contribution to become a member of WBAI. Whatever you are able, willing to send us, uh, is critical to keeping us on the air and and also helping to uh, keep it on the air at, a, at this time when so many listeners aren't able to step up. So if you are, this is really a, a, a moment where your donation really sends a message about your thoughts on independent, Amer uh, independent media in America and on Leonard Lopate at large and our place in that landscape. So I don't want to blab any longer and take away any more from this interview. So let me let you get back to it, Leonard. But just a big thank you to everyone who's contributed so far and everyone who's stepping up right now as I say this. Thank you from all of us at the station and the show. And the state, thank you, Jesse. And the station is WBAI, New York 99.5 FM. I'm talking with two of my favorite bakers, Jim Leahy of the Sullivan Street Bakery and Cynthia Kinahan of Pauling Bread Company. And we're talking about how things have uh, changed uh, as a result of the pandemic. In terms of, of bread baking, uh, some studies show that baking is connected to positive feelings, that it's a comforting activity for many people because, uh, because it requires both physical and mental focus. And you can also get your kids to help. And, and, and there's that wonderful smell when the bread is baking. Uh, so uh, do, you, do you find it uh, something that uh, keeps you psychologically in balance? Uh, is it a therapeutic tool, Cynthia? Yeah, for me, definitely. I think I would probably go a little insane if I didn't make bread anymore. Um, I think I'm a little bit of a loner, too. I like being in my own thoughts, and I find bread really 
It's very zen. I mean, it, it, maybe not so much when you're making 300 loaves um, and, and it's a hot summer day and you're trying mm-hmm. to, you know, it's a, it's a race against the clock. But um, for me, it's, it's, I, I really like making bread. It, it's very calming and I love that um, there's a trajectory. You know, you could make a mistake and I mean, it's a good, bad thing, but I really love the challenge. My husband used to joke that um, he can tell by the bake, like he knows my mood of that day will be determined by how great the bake in the morning was. <laughs> because it's just, um, yeah, it's, but, it's like but art. It's all, you know, you're it's like making it's ma- art. But you're, it's like like art, you're making many different kinds of, of bread. You're not just making one kind. So uh, does yeah. that uh, does that complicate things? Uh, it depends on what kind of bread it is. I mean, it can get a little bit, a little bit dicier if you're, um, for example, if you're milling spelt berries for fresh, um, you know, spelt flour bread. It could, the, the texture is very different than, say, a normal white sourdough can be. Um, but for the most part, it's just learning the properties of flour and how it how it is when it's um, hydrated, you know. So if you're making a bread that has fruits and nuts in it, for example, you want a certain amount of gluten to have developed before you fold in the the extra stuff. So just, you know, little tweaks like that. But, um, yeah, it's just really wonderful. For example, with the raisin bread, instead of just putting black raisins, we throw in golden raisins as well. So when you cut into uh, that loaf, you can see the specks of different colors. It's it's like art. Now, Jim, the New York Times reports that your recipe for no-knead bread is one of the most popular it's ever published. Why was it generally thought that you had to knead the dough if you wanted to make a good bread? What What, what is the, the chemical process involved? Um the chemical process in terms of enzymes or, uh, you know, I mean, or the chemical process in terms of, uh, well, I'll back up. I think that all bread making occurred using a method that would be similar to the no need method, except we weren't going to the supermarket. We weren't getting kind of, you know, uh, uh, pure white, uh, you know, highly processed flour, uh, but the actual "quote unquote" miracle of of bread is that all you needed to do was add water to it and some seed, some leaven, to get it to and salt to get it to rise, or not salt to get it to rise. Um, I don't think that you know it, what we know about bread generationally is is you know you know we're we're born. I was born in 1966. You know, uh, I grew up eating Wonder Bread. The only thing I needed to know about bread until I went to Europe, ate bread made from small bakeries, um, was what I knew about bread. You got it, you either got like a, a, you know, got it in a plastic bag from the supermarket, you know? I mean, people's knowledge about the baking process wasn't necessarily an important feature or there was no kind of mass interest at that point. I think in the 60s and 70s, most human beings, adult and otherwise, were interested in other things. Um, you probably also discovered pot- that there were better there are better cheeses in Europe because you're wonderful. <laughs> you are probably put American processed American cheese on it, 
and then you you put it in a frying pan. Well, that was kind of like kind of what got me baking bread was that I you know I, I couldn't put really nice cheeses on on Wonder Bread. Um, <laughs> so so it was also like it was really more about this alimentation, this eating thing. Um, but uh, I want to answer your question because it's a really good question. Um, the the I think that all baking was done via this amalgamating the dry and the wet together, possibly turning it a couple of times, making it from the big giant blob to smaller blobs, and then the smaller blobs sit and hang out as smaller balls. And you know the the name boulangere in French literally means someone who makes boules balls. Um, and then from there, and you know, it's, it's a kind of way of managing the the fermentation. You know, it, in, in bulk, it ferments one way. When you cut them down to smaller pieces, it ferments another way. Meaning that the dough, without having all that mass, ferments at a different pace. But when it's a giant mass of dough, it ferments quickly. Now, fermentation systems. You know, commercial yeast has only been around for about 100 years. Available, a little over 100, but available, 100 maybe 30, but available as a something you could buy, you know, via the industrial market or food service uh, stores, yada, yada, probably for about 80 years. Prior to that, most people made bread using natural fermentation or uh, barm from from brewers, that some form of natural fermentation was what the human body had gotten used to eating uh, um, bread with. I I would even postulate that perhaps the celiac uh, disorder and sensitivity to wheat proteins had something to do with the missing component of fermentation, the, the, the lactobacilli. That, that that has not been, like, you know, my generation, uh, or, you know, people that grew up in the 50s onward, 40s, 50s onward, you know, mass market and uh, um, in, very industrialized uh, agricultural system and baking system has given us breads that have been, uh, and, and ingredients that are neutered uh, of, of nutrition that have, that have had, you know, have taken a lot of the, the, the value out of, you know, what it took to grow a good grain, you know, a healthy grain. And the same is true for the, for the baking process. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, it, you know, it's a pastime. You know, it, it, it's kind of interesting that people are into baking. I think it's a really beautiful... Well, well, we're, beautiful we're pretty much out of time. Country. But we're, we're pretty much out of time. But the two of you sell bread among other uh, baked goods for a living are you worried that people are going to get so much into baking at home that you're going to lose customers in the near future no i'm not i'm actually very happy that people are learning to make bread because um then they can learn to feed themselves then i'll just as a business owner have to find a different way to make money but i'm actually very happy that this is a craft that more and more people uh, learn so they can be more um, independent, I guess. And Jim, um, I, I hope that know, they'll be I buying your cookbooks. I, I think that that a community 
can only, if we get together, a community will raise the standards and that it will make, you know, people who are in this business doing this work commit to the standards. You know, I, I think it also, you know, if someone takes 24 hours to make a beautiful loaf of bread, they, they maybe will appreciate more the, the work that goes behind it, you know? So it's, yeah, it's kind of like of bees. We're out of, out of time, but I want to remind people that Jim Leahy is the James Beard Foundation's first recipient of the Outstanding Baker Award. They've also inducted him into their Who's Who of Food and Beverage in America. His Sullivan Street Bakery is on the on the west side of Manhattan. And uh, Cynthia, uh, is uh, the her, her place is called uh, Pauling Bread Company. Uh, it, so... My great thanks to Cynthia Kinahan and Jim Leahy for being on our show today. Oh, thank you, Leonard. And Jim, I've always wanted to meet you. I drove down there two years ago, but your store was closed because uh, it was under renovation. So, so well, I'm, <laughs> it's I, such well, an honor. Well let's, well, let's get together without getting too close. We okay. okay. <laughs> well, uh, we'll be able to get together we'll, we'll close again thing. sometime in the future. Yeah, Meanwhile, Leonard, I gotta go. That brings us to the end of today's show. Special thanks to our live engineer, Richie Johnson, to my executive producer, Jesse Lent, who, uh, for all of their invaluable contributions throughout the week. If you're new to our program and you like what you've been hearing, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're available as an iTunes podcast. And don't forget to check out Leonard Lopate at Large on Facebook and Twitter and our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com, where you can find links to all of our past shows. I want to remind you before I sign off that we are uh, asking you to be, support this station, the number 516-620-3602, or go to our website, WBAI, give to WBAI.org. Uh, if you become a BAI buddy, you can also uh, attend the, my dinner at, uh, with Leonard Lopate show, uh, event. Um, and we hope that you can join us again on Tuesday. We're going to be off tomorrow and Monday. But Tuesday, I'll be talking to Jay Chester Johnson about his eye-opening book, Damaged Heritage, the, Ela the Elaine Race Massacre and the Story of Reconciliation. Have a great weekend.